I dreaded doing the show sometimes because whatever. <laughs> it was feelings. Yeah, feelings. Feelings. <laughs> feelings. I don't know if we had sort of an acknowledgement at that point that things were strained between us, but we were definitely not as close as we had once been by the time that that was happening. And part of this period of time is about the weird duality between becoming recognized as friends more publicly, even as we were spending less time in that kind of intimate communication that really makes a friendship feel safe and secure. I don't know. Does that feel right to you? Sorry. That feels so right. Please be my spokesperson for everything. Thank you. (laughs) I'm Ann Friedman, co-host of the podcast Call Your Girlfriend and a journalist. And my name is Aminatu So. I am the other co-host of Call Your Girlfriend and the co-author of Big Friendship with Ann Friedman. Aminatu So is a media strategist who was named to Forbes 30 Under 30. Anne Friedman is a journalist whose writing has been in places like The New York Times, Elle, and The Guardian. They've been best friends since 2009, but for most of that time, they've lived on opposite coasts. In 2014, they started co-hosting the podcast Call Your Girlfriend, whose tagline is, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. It gets hundreds of thousands of listeners. They record it from their respective homes, just like they did for the interview for this episode. But maintaining a friendship across the country and across a professional collaboration hasn't always been easy. The geographic distance between them turned into emotional distance, and they had to figure out a way to reconnect. They've co-written a book about it called Big Friendship, which comes out in July. But that project is just the next chapter in their story, which started over a decade ago. Here's Aminatu. Anne and I met at a Gossip Girl viewing party in Washington, D.C. in 2009, Gossip Curl was important then. It is still important today. (laughs) That party was hosted by our mutual friend, Dio. She specifically invited both of us to that party, having already identified that we would probably get along and be friends. In the same way that someone would like set you up on a blind date romantically, this was like a friendship like setup. I do remember just feeling like every comment and every joke and every little like aside or contribution she made to the kind of meta conversation happening about the TV show was just spot on. And just being like, I could be here forever and listen to every single word that comes out of this woman's mouth. I just really liked your outfit, Anne. Wow. I was like, yes, finally, a good outfit in this town. Like, I remember that being really important to me. But I just remember really appreciating that this person was both, like, hilarious and also smart. And then much later, when I connected the dots to the fact that, oh, you were the Anne Friedman whose byline I had read before, I was like, great. Everything makes sense now. Of course, this woman who wears this jeans and T-shirts situation so perfectly also has like 10 out of 10 tastes in teen television. So, you know, it worked out really well for me. It just was easy right away. And so things escalated like very fast. We really went zero to 100 in like the first couple months. (laughs) When I picture this time in our lives, I just picture us spending dozens of hours on one of our couches. We just spent so many hours doing nothing. And in that way, it felt very much like a college or a teen friendship to me. Our 20s were very much marked by a lot of like big group hangs, you know. But I think that for me, that when I knew that we were going to be friends for a long time, 
is when it was okay to be like, actually, I don't want to be doing that. I just want to be taking our bras off on the couch and just talking about mundane stuff or like reading side by side, like not really saying anything to each other. Mm -hmm. I had been living with a boyfriend and we broke up when you and I had been friends for six months or something like that. And then when I went to revise my HR paperwork at work, like who is your next of kin or whatever they make you put down for work emergencies. At that point, it was very clear that it was you. Yeah. By that point, you were someone in my life where I was like, yes, like give her my 401k. Like, please call her if I slip on a banana at work. Like, (laughs) this is is the only capable person in my life. Thank you. Your job at the banana factory. (laughs) (laughs) The people need to know. If I'm found in a ditch somewhere, I hope that my phone literally says, please call Ann Friedman. (laughs) (laughs) But we have now been friends who live apart for much longer than we were friends who lived in the same city. I knew that eventually you would move because we lived in a very transitional kind of city. And we had talked about it and it was like the great recession. Like people move to go to jobs like anywhere in the country. So it was not like it was a surprise that one of us would have to move. It just felt too soon. Yeah, and it's funny, when I think about making that decision, it was so wrapped up in work for me. Like, even though obviously I was physically leaving, like our ability to spend all these hours on the couch together, I didn't feel like our friendship was going to end or even be existentially threatened by the fact that I was moving away. And that's not to say that I wasn't sad about it or that it was easy. It's just at the time, it really just felt like, okay, like we're going to be as close as we ever were. It's just going to look a little different. I was devastated when you moved away, Anne. And I remember very consciously having to make a choice of like, I will never show this person that I am bummed out by this because I knew just how important it was for you. And I was also really excited for you that you were actually on a path to do something that you wanted to do. I don't shine if you don't shine is something that Amina first said to me and then we would say to each other, mostly I think as an assurance when one of us was worried she was taking up too much space in the other's brain or life or whatever, maybe asking for too much support or help a way of reassuring each other that we were invested in each other. And I Don't Shine If You Don't Shine was the assurance that underpinned a lot of those conversations. I have always felt that collaboration is better than competition. Every success in my life is a testament to that. And somewhere along the line, we started calling it Shine Theory privately. And then in 2013, I was a columnist for The Cut and wrote about it in a column And lots of people read and shared the column. And then it became a lot bigger than we had anticipated. But like all things that go viral, there are also a lot of complications. We were like, great. Is everyone really on the same page about what we're talking about? I remember, much to my surprise and horror, ShineTheory.com had already been bought. A woman who ran a fitness studio was using it to push some sort of like Miss Fitness Studio contest. My name was on the website. And so a lawyer was hired. And I think that having to go through this experience with you, and like I make decisions differently when I'm making decisions with someone than I do if I'm making them for myself. You really learn that like, People have different appetites for negotiation. Like people have, you know, like a different style that they want to be combative or not combative in and whatever. I think that having to sort out a lot of those kinks 
through this process illuminated a lot of things. And, you know, like one of them being like, okay, this really sucks, but I really like the person I have to do this with. It was important to me that we were able to make a decision this big together, you know, and it was like, that was not falling apart. The point at which we were trying to figure out what to do about the Shine Theory trademark was actually several months or maybe even dragged out for like more than a year. And that period of time, I don't know if we had sort of an acknowledgement at that point that things were strained between us, but we were definitely not as close as we had once been by the time that that was happening. I think that we are entering into a period where a lot of things that we were compartmentalizing were starting to become problems, you know? Like we were both changing and going through really hard things in our own lives, very far apart, physically and emotionally in most cases. And I think for me also, like this has been the central, the lesson that I am learning as <laughs> as I grow up every day. People are changing constantly and it is really hard to do a check-in every day and realize that you were different than you were yesterday. And so I think that even if we were like living in the same city or we, you know, like bought a house together and we were roommates or whatever, I still think that we would, we would be two different people. Clinging on to an idea of who I think someone is, is very reassuring. But in that, like you don't give people room to change their minds or to explore new things or to do new things. And so we were different and we didn't acknowledge it at the beginning. And then we were changing and didn't realize that we were changing. And there was so much to account for in that gap. And so for each of us, deciding to share less of ourselves was sometimes a conscious and sometimes a totally unconscious reflexive decision. Yet we had all of this communication related to hosting a podcast together for years and years and years, the only podcast that I listened to was This American Life. So it never even occurred to me that it was something we could do. But I had met Gina Delvac, our producer, through Anne and some of Anne's friends in LA. And at some point, somewhere in Palm Springs, like between probably drugs and wine for me, it was suggested <laughs> that we could do a podcast. I think she was just like, you guys have good chemistry and you should think about doing this. And I am also pretty sure we said that standard thing that I hear most people who are women say when you suggest they record themselves, which is, I hate my voice. Why would I do that? Or something like that. You know, I'm pretty sure we were kind of dismissive, but then also that we thought about it and talked about it. And several weeks later, do you remember when we were in the car and you bought the URL on your phone? Yes. We came up with the name in the car. I confess that if I had really sat there and thought for longer than 30 seconds, the show probably would not be called Call Your Girlfriend. It would be called something else. Indeed. But <laughs> this is how we work. Nothing is real unless there is a website. Nothing is real unless you've had a meeting about it. And Gina had done all of the work to say, this is what we think it could be. And because she did that, it made me feel like we could actually do it. We didn't think that tons of strangers would listen to it. I think that like a huge part of the show's success, honestly, is that we backed into all of these things. If they had come to me and said, hey, do you want to run a small media company where we have to get a government EIN and we have to do payroll? I would have said, absolutely not. Please never speak to me again. This is not what I want to do. And it sounds like a really dumb thing to say now, but it never occurred to me that people who were not our friends would listen to it. Hi, welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long distance besties everywhere. 
Um, usually we are long distance besties, but today we are in the same room. I know we're cheating and I love it. But I dreaded doing the show sometimes because whatever. <laughs> it was feelings. Yeah, feelings. <laughs> when we are not communicating well and you add distance to it, like that was an issue or always thinking like, okay, we'll deal with this later. There was always like a thing, you know, like a small thing that you would deal with later. And then that jar got full and you're like, oh, this is a lot of stuff. And it happened in so many little ways that we didn't really even fully acknowledge it until things had gotten really bad. And I think part of this period of time is about the weird duality between becoming recognized as friends more publicly, even as we were spending less time in that kind of intimate communication that really makes a friendship feel safe and secure. I don't know. Does that feel right to you? Sorry. That feels so right. Please be my spokesperson for everything. Thank you. (laughs) There was sort of this illusion that we were still in touch in the same way we had always been, even though we weren't actually talking in like truly intimate ways about what was happening in each of our lives. We were kind of talking about logistical things for work, or we were talking about the news or pop culture on the podcast. You know, the kinds of conversations that really underpinned our relationship in the beginning just weren't happening anymore with the same frequency. I knew that we weren't doing well, but I knew that you didn't hate me. The thing that was hard about our conflict is that we loved each other, but we didn't know how to communicate with each other. I don't remember what the words were that you said in that conversation, but I just remember the relief I felt when you told me that you didn't feel good? I feel awful, I think is what I said. Thank you, Anne. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Should have been a scary moment. Should have been like, oh no. And instead it was like, thank God, finally. Like it's all on the table. And I remember just feeling this a huge sense of relief of great. We are having a breakdown and we are talking about it. I love it. And so that's how we ended up a couple's therapy. Doesn't it feel good to laugh about this now? Like, ooh, expensive. Every laugh is the sound of thousands of therapy dollars. Like, <laughs> We would like, I don't know, record the podcast and then, you know, like hang up that equipment and be like, well, are you ready to go to Dr. So-and-so later? Show up to therapy, do that really hard work. And also sometimes like agree or disagree with the therapist and be able to talk to each other about it. There is something about that that felt like such an out-of-body experience to me where I was like, am I really this grown-up who like, I worked with this person, we are now at our therapist and now we're going to go home and lay on the floor because this was so hard. If you had not been at those therapy sessions with me, I would not believe that it had happened. But it did happen and somehow we did it. Right. We both still wanted to be there. And like, I think about that saying about like, how do you stay married? You just don't get divorced or whatever. I don't know. But I will say that like, we were both continuing to show up. In our friendship, I've learned a lot about being someone who who doesn't run away from their commitments. We felt like this experience we had had trying to repair an intimate friendship that had like hit the rocks is not something we saw reflected anywhere. And so there was a motivation, I think, to try to put some of this down in words. I think we started to talk about writing a book proposal in maybe 2017. Does that sound right? Yeah. When it came to audio, neither of us knew what we were doing. And it was very much like, okay, great. Like we're starting from scratch. And with this, you know, Anne is a writer and I'm her friend, but I'm also her fan. 
like I've read Anne for years. And so I was really thinking about like, how is this collaboration going to work? We sold this book as like, we are two co-equal authors. And uh, I was like, great. I'm like paired up with an Olympian and now we have to do hurdles. (laughs) You know, a lot of books that are co-written, you know, in this 50-50 way have, you know, chapter ones by one person and then chapter twos by the other person and they kind of volley back and forth. And we made a choice pretty early on that we wanted to have one narrative. And so as a project, it is really impossible to disentangle our various inputs. And I don't know, I feel like that feels truer to me in the sense of like, that's really what a friendship feels like. And the way we did that is we outlined together quite meticulously. And then we would take a section of the outline, split up. We'd each write narratively that section of the outline on our separate computers. And then we would each read aloud what we had written to the other. And then we would knit them together and keep the best parts of both. And then move on to the next section of the outline for 70,000 words. Wow. (laughs) Can you believe we did that? I'm just like saying that out loud is wild. (laughs) My truly like favorite moments of our writing process is when I would be frustrated or ready to give up and I would look around and you were typing away furiously with your signature and Friedman typing noises and exclaim out loud, I love words. <laughs> Those were the moments. I can't believe you're outing me like this. <laughs> I am outing you. You are a Capricorn writer and it is disgusting to be a part of, but also it's, you know, I'm like, we got, we did it. My favorite moments are hearing you from like the other end of the house be like, okay, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> like where I could tell you were really working through something, like you had really had a breakthrough. <laughs> One thing that is like truly consistent across every year of our friendship is that like, I always do want to know what you think. I always do think you have the best jokes. Like that is like never, ever changed. (laughs) Same, Anne, same. Aminatou So and Anne Friedman are partners. Go listen to their podcast, Call Your Girlfriend, at callyourgirlfriend.com. Get their book, Big Friendship, at bigfriendship.com. And read about Shine Theory at shinetheory.com. Like they said, nothing is real unless there's a website. Partners is made by me, Rishi K. Shearway. I produced, edited, and made the music for the show, with editing help from Maureen Hoban and production assistance from Casey Deal. Partners is a MailChimp podcast made in partnership with Radiotopia. Find out more at mailchimp.com presents and at radiotopia.fm. Thanks for listening.